Hello and a warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 6th of July 2021. Mark Penders stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London, where it's pretty safe to say that most market participants are much more focused on England's Euro semi-final match against Denmark tomorrow than they are on what's actually happening to market asset prices. And to be fair, markets have a pretty relaxed feel about them in this holiday shortened week and by and large, volatility levels remain pretty low. Nonetheless, last week's June US payroll achieved its steepest rise in, what, 10 months and much of economic data generally, as well as OPEC's failure yesterday to agree on higher oil output, still carry inflation risk as the recovery in demand continues to outpace supply. Indeed, amongst the major central banks earlier today, the Reserve Bank of Australia joined the Bank of Canada in deciding that the time has now arrived to start tapering its quantitative easing programme. That said, in Europe, some of the early hard data for May have fallen well short of what the surveys have been suggesting. And it's going to be interesting to see whether this disconnect is sustained and ultimately equates with a disappointingly slow recovery from the COVID crisis. In any event, let's start across the pond with Mark. So did the data tell us anything new about how you how the US economy is shaping up? Uh, it did. It For the first time in um in several months, the uh, 850,000 rise in non-farm payrolls exceeded uh, Conaday's uh, forecast, which was uh, just over 700,000. This, uh, the results had uh, sharply underperformed. Uh, so it is suggesting that um, uh, hiring uh, is finally uh, accelerating. That uh, the lack of uh, ability to find qualified workers uh, is diminishing, and this uh, goes in line with the, what the Federal Reserve has been saying that uh, as vaccinations pick up, as uh, concerns of COVID in the workplace decrease, and as um, uh, emer- generous emergency unemployment benefits roll off, which they're beginning to do, you'll get uh, an acceleration in um, in payrolls, but you know, to go back to your point, and you're going to be, we're going to be discussing in part um, how the business surveys uh, are not correlating uh, that well with the actual results. And I guess Jeremy, you're going to say in Europe, which they have exceeded actual results. Uh, here, they haven't exceeded it to the same degree, but um, just we just had the ISM Services report this morning, and. Um, it showed no change, actually slight contraction in um, in their employment reading. Now, the ISM Services Employment Index is had been once, and maybe now less so, uh, used as a proxy for when it, when it comes out before the employment report of what to expect because it it takes a broad range of companies, a couple hundred a month, maybe 300 a month, uh, through the services economy, which is the bulk of the economy, and and it gives a index on the employment. Well, this index would have uh, suggested uh, an, an under uh, maybe a, a 500,000, you know, no change in payrolls. The prior was 559,000 or 583,000, something below what we expected. So I know this doesn't fit in exactly with with the point we're going to try to make here, but th- that they've been in business service surveys here in the U.S., especially the the regional manufacturing surveys have been through the roof, and uh, and if uh, those would correlate to actual factory orders and actual industrial production, the Fed would be would have already started raising rates. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that you know business surveys are limited in their sample size and limited in 
you know, and, and the respondents who go ahead and, um, and, and offer their uh, monthly um, suggestions or their monthly indications. And, um, and so maybe we should take them more uh, with a grain of salt, but to pass it on to you, Jeremy, what's interesting about Europe is the consistency through all the different reports. Uh, they've all been so uh, elevated. Have they been coming down at all? Yeah, you're right. Just quickly before we move on to Europe, can I ask you one thing which is a feature of Europe when it comes to PMIs is that notwithstanding the fact that we're going to have a little bit of a go at them probably here because they have the correlation between the PMIs and the hard data hasn't been that great of late. But when we get to the next ECB uh, statement or the Bank Mm -hmm. of England statement, we're going to see these PMIs being uh, mentioned probably in the first or second paragraph as a current indicator of what's going on. Is Mm. that going to happen when we get the FOMC minutes out of the the Fed this week? That's a big separation between Europe and the US is the amount of emphasis they put on these business surveys, especially the PMIs in Europe. Um, and I guess that just goes down to maybe a lack of timely data uh, that Europe has compared to the US. I remember here back in the 90s uh, when Alan Greenspan, who was a big uh, US data um, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah. aficionado or whatever, uh, he uh, at that time, it was the National Association of Purchasing Managers, and now it's the Institute for Supply Management. But uh, he got on t- in his testimony in Congress, and he started pointing out the importance of the NAPM in his own work. And he used to call up the um, um, the the chair people who uh, organized these surveys before they released them. He was given a, uh, an embargo copy, and he used to talk to them on the phone about the results of these surveys. So that was kind of the opening for us in the 90s with uh, these business surveys, uh, even though they had been around quite a long time. The Philadelphia survey has been around since the 60s. The Chicago PMI has been around since the 70s. But as far as policymaking at that level, it wasn't wasn't to that degree. Um, It is occasionally um, mentioned, uh, certainly, uh, but not anywhere in like um, to actually ground uh, uh, future policy or the current assessment of the uh, economy. And also we can go back to high frequency data, which is a little bit different. This is a new thing where you're looking at Google rates and, and these kinds of things. Uh, uh, Jerome Powell had pointed to those. Uh, at the beginning of the um, pandemic closures as important indications. Um, but uh, that emphasis has has already faded. And now these are not being mentioned anymore because I, at the emergency point, he was looking for the very most timely data he yeah. could get. It. And that's oh, what that's these business surveys, well. yeah. the business surveys give you timely data. Uh, um, you know, uh, like we just got the ISM for June. So the first June readings, uh, well, we've already had job. Or, or I guess we'll get job. Um, uh, we've already had jobless claim. We've already had. <laughs> we've already had the employment report for June. But uh, some of these. How about the PMIs? Okay, so they have their uh, mid uh, month for June came out at mid month, and the Philadelphia Fed came out at mid month in June. So they're a few weeks ahead of the official data. But like the official data for June. The most important one is employment, and that's already out. So that actually beat the business survey. Now, is that, so let's ask you, for Europe, now, how is there – I know that German unemployment seems to come out very fast, and the CPIs come out very, very fast. 
in Europe. But other other than that, is it a lack of timely data that it the- is an yeah, you're right. Exactly. It is an issue for I mean example, we're just about now starting to get May data. Uh, the first of the hard May data. Um, which really just shows you how far behind you are in terms of statistics. So we just had uh, May retail sales, which actually turned out to be very good as far as the Eurozone was concerned. But in terms of you know, industrial production from you know, the output side of it, we still got over a week or so to wait for that. So that, you know, the hard data really are very tardy in being released out of Europe. So it does leave policymakers, to be fair to them, you know, scratching their heads, really trying to work out what's going on. So then, okay, getting back to this, um, just just in sort of in summary, I mean, the good news from the Eurozone economy is that it is recovering. But while demand appears to be doing particularly well and retail sales today exceeded expectations quite comfortably, um, output is not holding up as well as the PMI surveys might suggest. And that's particularly true of manufacturing, where the sector PMIs have been overly bullish for quite a few months now. And, and that performance gap is going to be particularly important, of course, for what happens happens to inflation. So just to lob a few numbers into the pot, and we have to go back a couple of months just so we can actually compare the hard data. But we look at France, for example, the manufacturing, the headline PMI there in April uh, came in at 58.9. It was 59.4 in May. But in the same months, uh, industrial production rose just 0.1%. So it'll be in April and in May fell 0.3%. Of course, these PMI numbers are, you know, by European standards are pretty well through the roof. Same thing in Germany, and we don't even have the German Bay industrial production data yet. We'll get, get them tomorrow. But the April figure was all the way up at 66.2, which really means output is completely through the roof. And in the same month, according to the hard data, though, industrial production actually fell 1% on the month. Now, I mean, part of this clearly is due to how these things are constructed um, within the European PMIs from, from market, uh, vendor delivery times, which we know are getting longer and longer and longer due to oil capacity problems and shortages of raw materials at the moment. They carried away to 15%. Uh, stocks of purchases, which have also been accelerated because all these firms are trying to you know, preempt further production problems down the, down the road by actually getting their inputs on board now. They've been rising sharply and they're up 10%. So essentially, 25% of the index is being pushed up by variables which are really giving completely the wrong signal. But now we can say, OK, well, that's missing the point because you're talking about overall activity. and um, We're really you know, supposed to be concentrating on production. But if you look at the production sides as well, it's a similar sort of story whereby on the whole, these you know, the PMI sub indices are, are too strong. So again, just look at April in Germany, the manufacturing output sub index was up at 60, sorry, 67.6, but output actually fell 1% that month. Similarly, France in the same month, it was 58.74, the manufacturing PMI sub-index. Output fell 0.3%. Now, the, the Eurozone correlation as a whole is rather better than that, but it's still you know, it, it coming out these numbers, which simply are not getting it the actual numbers not getting anywhere close to what the the PMI data are suggesting. And that's really been reflected, I think, more and more now in the way this demand and supply supply side balance is coming through. So, for example, if we look at what's happening in Germany, um, we've got May German retail sales. They actually come out relatively early in the calendar as far as Europe's concerned. Now, if we compare May retail sales with where we were in February last year, so 
pre-pandemic level to give us a sensible base, then sales are actually up 3.9%. So if you like, recovering retail sales is, is more than complete. However, if we look at German industrial production, irrespective of what these PMIs might be saying, the hard data, and this is only as far as April, to be fair, so there is still a month to go to catch up with May, but it's down 5.6%. So in other words, the May data, the hard data for industrial production will need to show a monthly increase of what, about nine and a half percent or so to catch up with retail sales. So you know, demand is clearly easily outpacing what we're seeing coming through from the supply side. It's a similar sort of story if you look at UK, again, May retail sales versus February, the February base of 2020, pre-pandemic, that's all the way up at 9.1%. But the recovery in UK industrial production, at least as far as April, that was still 3.1% short. So this huge gap between the two are going on. Now, it's interesting because if you look at the way the inflation numbers have been moving for these countries, then in Germany, if we look at the core rates, so it strips out some of the volatility caused by food and energy and the like, uh, inflation in Germany, uh, core inflation in January, so the start of this year is 1.4, it's now up at 1.9%. In the UK in January, core inflation here was 1.6%, it's now up at 2%. And you've got to think it's partly due to this imbalance between demand and supply. And so if you move across to Italy, where it's the other way around, where we've seen demand actually recovering quite slowly. So in April, retail sales initially were down four and a half percent versus um, the February number pre-pandemic uh, last year. Industrial production, though, was actually up 1.2%. So the recovery in supply has outpaced demand. And what's happened to inflation or core inflation? The beginning of this year is 0.8%, as the latest figures, which actually June preliminary ones, is down at 0.3%. So I think, you know, in many ways, what we can say, these PMIs are throwing out quite a misleading picture, really. Yes, they're capturing some of the bullish state we have, generally speaking, certainly in terms of consumer demand anyway, but they're giving a misleadingly firm picture of output. And it's the gap between the two, which is clearly going to be you know, instrumental in how the inflation profile develops as we go through the rest of this year. Interesting. Now, but the services yeah, um, uh, surveys in Europe uh, include a retail component, they do. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's difficult because we the problem we're looking at, looking at the, uh, you know, the the services output side of the economy as we don't really get any particular data mm -hmm. coming through until we actually get you know, the GDP accounts. And that's mm -hmm. so late, we don't have much to, you know, to compare with. But mm -hmm. yes, I mean, it does look, I mean, all we can say is that the service side of the PMIs and indeed other surveys like the, the big economic sentiment survey we get coming out from the European Commission, they've mm -hmm. certainly pointed to a fairly significant recovery in certainly service sector activity during the course of the last couple of months or so. And that would seem to be consistent with what's going on with the, you know, with the retail retail, um, retail sales side. Well, and that's where, uh, and, and let's look there. So let's look at um, the European um, consumer sentiment, consumer confidence readings as a um, substitute for actual, and they don't always correlate, of course, uh, as a substitute, uh, a business survey a business type survey instead of asking businesses questions these surveys ask actual consumers uh, questions uh we had um the zew today right and uh no but that's german analysts uh but how, uh, how we, we last week we had economic sentiment was it um the, yeah the european 
is a multi-year high in the headline index, um, again, which should be consistent with this, you know, with a sharp recovery in economic output. But again, you kind of wonder if it's being biased up through some, you know, you know, some, you know some, if you like, from some false readings where, you know, developments are giving the wrong impression. Right. Such, as we mentioned earlier, like, you know, normally we talk about, you look at vendor delivery times, and if they're getting longer and longer, um, typically speaking, you think, aha, demand, you know, if they're getting longer and longer, it's because they're working at full capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, that means the economy is doing really well. Well, in this case, we know it isn't. It's simply because these producers, in some instances, are actually cutting back on production because they can't get the supply of inputs due to mm-hmm. shortages of raw materials and you know, shortages of freight containers and, and everything else which is interrupting these supply chains at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, the bottom line to all this little lot, I suppose, is that, you, know, you, you as you were saying, you do have to be careful when you're looking at these surveys. Yes, you need to look at them because in many cases, particularly as far as Europe's concerned, it's almost it's the only sort of sense of what's going on reasonably currently that you're going to get because the hard numbers come through so late, mm. um, but they can give misleading impressions. Um, perhaps just to round off, and it's interesting, we talked before about you know, our economic consensus divergence indices, where if we look at um, France and Germany, which had been doing very well, um, the French index now is down at minus 11, Germans at minus 12. Now, that's not a huge negative reading, but it does suggest that, you know, the forecasters have been started to become too optimistic about the pace of recovery. And that may perhaps be because, you know, typically speaking, when you're, you're trying to put the forecast together, these PMIs and the surveys will be a factor in what you decide about what you're going to forecast for industrial production mm-hmm. or you know, whatever it may be. And it may perhaps be some spin off in the fact that the PMIs themselves are giving misleadingly optimistic readings mm-hmm. on the output side that these ECDIs are starting to go negative. Okay, well, now let's talk about the uh, hard uh, methodology of these surveys. So are we getting um, a recovery reopen, excuse me, a COVID reopening uh, exuberance in these numbers? Now, when you ask a consumer, uh, you know, are you um, uh, more optimistic uh, now than you were this time last month? Yeah, I guess so. And uh, you ask a business, um, do you have... uh, uh, more orders uh, this time than last month. The, you know, there's two different responses. Well, let me go check my books. Or, yeah, no, yeah, I'll just check the, yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. So we don't know the degree, the exactitude that the business surveys um, are, the respondents are um, are putting, what kind of effort they're putting into these um, month-to-month uh, readings. And that's why they're month to month in these reports, because you can't, if, if you ask them, what was it like last year, then they would definitely have to go back to their books. They could ask that question. And that would that would guarantee that they would have to go back to the books because the memory isn't that long. But a month, part of the reason they do the month to month is it gives you a little slippage there. It, it gets more mm-hmm. respondents, more responses in. So maybe we're getting business and also the consumer uh, we're getting an exuberance in these numbers that yeah thank god yeah you know well i think i think that's right and of course one of the problems is we're trying to compare you know diffusion indices with sort of you know hard data mm-hmm. and if you think about it when you emerge from covid it would be presumably reasonably safe to assume that because demand's going up almost every business is going to receive more demand now than it did previously 
during COVID. Therefore, taken at face value, you could imagine some of these PMIs almost coming in at 100%. Now, that may not be because demand's got, you know, supply or demand's actually gone up, gone up a lot. It may simply be because more people are out there shopping and buying things. All these businesses are now selling three widgets rather than two widgets. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't matter in terms of how this index is constructed. It simply means that, yes, everyone's saying it's gone up. Therefore, PMI equals 100%. So I think when you get to these turning points, these inflections in what's going on, that the diffusion indices themselves, you know, can start giving you know, misleadingly strong or indeed you know, weak impressions of what what's actually happening. Well, speak about 100. I mean, the uh, prices paid uh, ISM's uh, manufacturing survey came in at 90 something. That's almost the equivalent. Wow. So, all, yeah, all these. So um, the whole entire sample uh, and, and, you know, talk about bubbling inflation pressures, you know, at the base of the economy. You know, the ISM's almost entire sample said that prices in June were higher than they were in May. And, um, you know, and, and, and the consumer side of the U.S. picture is that inflation is, though elevated right now, whether month to month or especially year on year, it's slowing from the peaks we saw in April, which is good news. Um, but uh, if you look at the ISM, uh, you you wouldn't think that at all. I mean, you would think that you know, like you were saying, something's going to have to pass through uh, to the consumer. Um, and w- okay, well, uh, shifting gears uh, real quick, we had manufacturer orders from Germany uh, this morning, and they fell 3.7%, which was not expected. Uh, the Conaday's consensus was for a 1.3% gain. Do you think that forecasters were using the PMIs uh, or did the PMIs influence the forecasters to uh, get this number so entirely wrong? Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I suppose to be fair to any forecaster, you know, if you're given the job of trying to call German manufacturing orders on a month-on-month basis, mm-hmm. then you have my sympathy because it mm-hmm. is a notoriously volatile series. But yes, it's certainly consistent. The fact, as you mentioned, um, the consensus was up 1.3%. It was down 3.7%, which I mean is one of the biggest falls or the second mm-hmm. biggest fall we've seen over the last year or so. And why do you go for that? Well, you don't have a lot to hang your hat on when you're trying to forecast this number, but you do have the PMI. And if we look at the German and PMI and what did the orders part of it say well guess what it suggests that orders were growing at a historically extremely rapid rate um, and yet as you mentioned I mean quite clearly you know the correlation between the two in this particular instance and indeed for a number of months it, it, it really has broken down in the past I should say to defend you know, the PMI guys I mean that with the across Europe you know one reason why central banks do look at these PMI surveys uh, not just because they're they're up to date but they've had a pretty good track record at least calling the broader picture of what's been going on in manufacturing or in the services sector and indeed the overall composite output and its relationship with GDP. But there are quite clearly some issues at the moment. And I guess it's going to be interesting. We're going back to the central bankers, because I think if you look at the Bank of England now, we've got the likes of Andy Haldane, the bank's chief economist, who's uh, about to leave the bank fairly shortly. Now, he made comments last week, which I don't think impressed his boss, um, the governor, too much, saying that inflation is likely to move above 4%. And there's a risk of it getting out of control. Um, and I think he's one of these guys who does take these surveys on board. Is clearly getting more concerned about it. The likes of Andrew Bailey, the governor, who came out and said, no, 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 don't worry about it. This is just a, yeah, the classic central bank line at the moment. This is just going to be a temporary blip and it will soon start you know, unwinding and going back down again. So it may be quite interesting. You know, it's, you know, which which of these FOMC or MPC members attach most weight to these surveys and which perhaps, you know, tend to, well, OK, maybe, but we need to see the hard data first, that kind of approach. 
Well, there's a little bit of cherry picking with the policymakers and the ones they choose, the indicators they choose to uh, justify their um, their views at the moment. I, I have seen that in the past. Everyone, I guess, is guilty of that. And what did uh, what did Darwin say? He was most uh, acute to those uh, indications that went against his uh, his thoughts, uh, his assumptions. I'm not sure that uh, economists. I guess we can all have <laughs> sympathy with that. that. <laughs> As you say, you can choose the statistics to which fit your story and ignore the other ones. Yes. Okay. Um, Right. What else have we got? I should be mentioning from my side of the world and um, UK, I should mention, I suppose it's going to be seen now as this kind of COVID experiment. As of yesterday, the prime minister announced that the so-called Freedom Day on July the 19th uh, looks like it's still going to happen. So uh, essentially, once we get to July the 19th, what, a couple of weeks away, um, as near as damn it, all social restrictions on the UK population will be ended. There will still be you know, voluntary mask wearing as and where people see fit. But it's going to be voluntary. Now, they're doing this at a time when, uh, hooray, the death rate is very low and indeed hospitalizations are low. However, both of those are starting to drift up. And what is happening, and which is worrying the scientists, is that the Delta, the Delta variant we talked about before, it has lead, led to a huge increase in uh, new COVID cases. Um, currently, we're running at a daily basis, what, around about 27, 28,000, something like that, which is the highest we've seen since February. And the new health minister himself admitted today that once we open up fully, there's a chance that that daily number could move up to 100,000. So this really is taking a big risk and it's really a case of hoping that although the cases are almost inevitably going to go up, it's just a question of how far they go up, that the vaccines will keep you know, the hospitalizations and more importantly, ultimately, the death rates uh, low enough that you know, the kind of linkage between the two is ultimately broken. And then you know, almost get catching COVID won't matter because I, I well, A, you won't get it because you've been fully vaccinated. Or if you do get it, it'll be so mild that you almost don't notice it. But I think yeah, there's a lot of countries now which are looking across to the UK to see what happens here uh, as, you know, with a view to determine whether they're going to open up abroad. You have the likes of Germany in particular has taken note about what's happening here. And Angela Merkel was making some not very polite noises to um, to our prime minister of a G7 meeting about the UK opening up too soon, you know, given the risk of this Delta. Indeed, as, as things currently stand, we're starting to see that the Delta variant now increasing quite sharply in the number of uh, Eurozone countries, particularly Portugal and Spain. So it's, you know, although COVID, we like to push it to one side, it's still going to be an issue. And who knows, that may be something which is going to influence, you know, these business surveys. When we look at the PMIs, almost without exception, we've got you know, business optimism about the year ahead being at least historically very high, if not mm. at new time peaks. But as you mentioned, that German ZEW survey, which came out earlier on today, uh, there was a fairly sharp decline in the expectations component. And some of that appears to be worries that this Delta variant is going to hit Germany in the same way it's, you know, as, as it's hit the UK and might mm. slow down the pace of recovery. So still watch this pace, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, oh, one other thing I should quickly mention on the UK, which has also been you know, a true test, I suppose, of you know, what the underlying picture of the UK economy is. Um, the furlough support programme, which has been underpinning salaries for uh, furloughed workers up, for, up to 80% or so of their wages, that was reduced down to 70% support from the beginning of July. This is the start of the phase out. And then that will be reduced by another 10% um, to 70% to 60% to rather a uh, month after that. And of course, it will end 
once we get to the end of September time. And that's when we'll actually find out just how important this uh, pro this program has been in helping to keep down you know, the unemployment rates. And again, I think you know one reason why the Bank of England is still cautious or that's more hawkish is still cautious about doing it with tapering is it wants to see what's going to happen to the jobs market once some of these support programs are pulled out. Um, yeah, because it may be, who knows, we start to see a big increase in unemployment and all of a sudden we're not back to square one again, but it does mean that the idea of tightening suddenly goes out the window. Okay, anything else um, I should well, mention? Yeah. Well, the, the Merkel reference was to Wembley Stadium, no? And uh, are, are, have um, there been a warning? They let too many fans in. And so uh, is there going to be a COVID uh, are, are people keeping their eye on when should we look for a COVID re, uh, uh, relation to football? Well, I'll tell you what um, is interesting. The World Health Organization came out was yesterday or so. I'm saying I'm um, just looking at Europe and they're reckoning infections in Europe now, largely due to the Delta variant. They've increased by 10 percent in the latest week. Uh, and that was after you know, two months of solid decline that we talked about before uh, on, on the podcast. Um, and they really are concerned about the risk. We've got you know, a whole new wave of cases coming through. And they're suggesting that this Euro 2020 championship, which is partly at you know, Wembley in London, but it's also dotted around Europe as well, where these matches are being held, uh, you know, could act as a super spreader. So, you know, the vaccination rate within Europe and UK is pretty good. European Union in general is pretty decent now, but it's mainly on the western side of it. But the eastern side of Europe, uh, you know, the vaccination rates there are still hopelessly low. I mean, Russia, for example, where they now have record daily cases of COVID. And again, I think it's mainly Delta. Their vaccination rate is only, what, 17 percent, I think, of the population have had a single shot so far. So they're miles behind where they want to be. So I think, you know, give it, what, a couple of weeks or so, after the championship ends um, and it's going to be very interesting what happens to you know, the European COVID cases because you know already people are warning about there could be a new worst case to come we start seeing these cases going through the roof again so it's going to be um, well let's say an interesting time to watch them but I just hope that the numbers stay you know stay down as they are at the moment okie dokie um, anything else from your side no I think that does it yeah, I think we've probably been prattling on for long enough as usual. OK, then. Great. Let's uh, wind it up for this week then. So on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as ever for listening. We'll be back next week. So please do join us then. And in the meantime, you can find all the key market moving data and events listed as always and analysed in Econ Day's global economic calendar. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.